The second Bible reading is in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. You can read this um, along with me in um, the Pew Bibles on page 1267. James, chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We will stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of God. Good morning, church, and good morning, friends and visitors with us. We come this morning, I'm sure you've, as you've heard that Bible read, to an incredibly convicting part of God's Word. Uh, I know in my preparation this week, I felt enormously convicted uh, of my own sin. I found myself sent to Jesus to ask again for forgiveness and to rejoice in the salvation that he brings, and I certainly pray that's what will happen again for us today. So let's pray that it will, and let's look at that part of the Bible. Father in heaven, we do pray again. Uh, that we would this morning humbly accept your word planted in us. We pray be convicted of our sin. We pray we would go to Jesus. We pray we would find again our salvation and our change in him. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but every now and then um, I hear a story, uh, often by a preacher... That's so like my life that I think to myself, have they been watching me? You know, have they been bugging my house? Is their story they're telling actually me, but they've just changed the names? I heard a story by a preacher Paul Tripp recently where he speaks about him and his wife and how for some strange reason God brought them together with very different views of time. And in particular, at what time you should be where you said you'd be and what time you should leave to get there. I don't know if it works like this in your home. I was brought up in a home where leaving early mattered. 
It was never actually explained to us why. It was just the way it was. And so it was ingrained. It's what you were supposed to do. And then I met my wife, who, as it turns out sometimes, has a very different idea of time uh, to me. Uh, anyway, in this story I heard about uh, Paul Tripp, it turns out he and his wife are the same. And he tells this particular story about a particular day. Uh, they were going to a breakfast at Easter at church. And of course he was ready, early, as you should be. And he walked into the bathroom and he saw his wife and son, who very clearly were not. And because this wasn't the first time it had happened, he said his stresses rose, his temper uh, was awakened, and his words began to flow. And he began, he said, to say helpful things, like the fact that this was, in fact, not an Easter dinner, but, in fact, an Easter breakfast. A couple of kids were all waiting patiently in the car, and probably by now were asleep. And, and he, in fact, was an elder of the church. And that his arrival before the bacon and eggs was very important to his ministry. And about then, he says, his nine-year-old son, who was standing there, spoke up and said, Daddy, can I say something? And Paul Tripp says, I should have said no, but he didn't. His son went on. Daddy, do you really think that this is the way a Christian man should be talking to his wife? Tripp goes on and says, I'm a counsellor. I'm good at these conversations. So I said, what do you think? <laughs> to which his little boy with the faith of a child replied, Daddy, it doesn't matter what I think. What does God think? <laughs> Tripp goes on and says that he slunk slowly to the door. His head down, duly rebuked, his boy spoke up again and said, Daddy, can I say something else? And though he wanted to say, no, no, Lord, please, no, uh, the boy went on, what I mean to say, Daddy, is, what does the Bible say? I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that, or whether perhaps right now you're, you're wondering to yourself, have they been watching my life? <laughs> have they been bugging my house? Or if not exactly like that, have you had that moment where your mouth went rogue? You said those things you knew you'd regret. Or perhaps even now it's happening again and again. Have you noticed the way your words go wild? And if you have wondered, or perhaps like that little boy asked, what does God really think? What does the Bible say? about how we use our words. Well, that's what this part of James is all about. Us and our untamable tongue. You remember, if you've been with us the last few weeks, in chapter 1, James has already told us, do you remember, James 1, if anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And now James returns to that theme. So what is in fact the most sustained discussion in all the New Testament on how we use our tongue? And it seems to me there's four things he particularly wants us to see about our tongue and about our words. And what are they? Well, it's that my tongue, 
And your tongue is surprisingly powerful, terribly destructive, humanly untamable, and unacceptably inconsistent. If you have your passage open there, you'll see in verse 1 that according to James, what he's about to say is particularly relevant for Christian teachers. For those whose words affect so many, for those whose tongues matter so much, I was told, in fact, that um, this Wednesday, the ESL teaching team read these words just before their class this week. And after they did, and maybe ESL teachers can nod if this is true, there was a kind of corporate gasp, a combined chorus, oh no. And see, James says, rightly so. ESL teachers, growth group teachers, kids church teachers, Yoshi teachers, Sunday preachers. You especially need to hear these words. But of course, not just you, not just them. See, as verse 2 goes on, it's, it's all of us, do you see? All who stumble, all who speak, all whose tongue is so hard to control, we especially need to hear these words from James. And what does he say? Well, he says, first of all, that your little tongue is loaded with a power far beyond its size. Like the bit in the horse of a mouse, verse three, of a, a, mouth, a bit in the mouth of a horse, verse 3. That's what your tongue is like, James says. A couple of weeks ago, my family were at Sovereign Hill, and if you've been, if you've been there, you'll know that one of the attractions is to ride in this enormous old cart that's drawn along by four even more enormous Clydesdale horses. A horse that can weigh up to a ton. And how is that monster horse directed and turned? By a small little bit placed in its mouth. And that's what your tongue is like, James says. It's loaded with power beyond its size. It's like the rudder at the back of a ship, verse 4. A weekend after at Apollo Bay. And the wind was howling and there in the bay were these little kids sailing these boats. No, no, not those boats exactly, of course. They're first century Roman. But, but these little kids and these little boats, and how did they do it? Even actually against, I was really impressed, against the howling wind, with one little hand on one little rudder, at the back of the boat. And that's what your tongue is like, James says. It's loaded with power beyond its size. And we know it's true, don't we? As we look back across our life and the words that were said to us, words have a power both to make us and break us like nothing else can or will. Words like, I love you. You're special. I'm proud of you. Well done. Or, I hate you. You're ugly. Go away. You failed. 
And I wonder now, even as you hear those words now, or perhaps as you remember those words said to you, do you feel it? Do you feel the power of those words? How such little words from such a tiny tongue can have such enormous effect. Surprisingly powerful, James says. And terribly destructive. Like a fire that destroys, James says, that's what your tongue is like. See it, verse 5. Verse 5, consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, is itself set on fire by hell. According to the National Museum of Australia, in those black, uh, awful Black Saturday bushfires 2009, that killed 173 people, injured more than 400 more, burned 3,500 buildings, destroyed 2,000 homes. One of the worst of those fires first began with just one power line, knocked down by the wind, and with just a few sparks, seemed to set half our state on fire. And James says, do you see, that's what your tongue, your tongue is like. That's the damage it can do. And not just with any kind of fire, did you see there at the end of the verse, but with the fire of hell itself. Reminds me of that moment with Jesus and Peter. Do you remember when after Peter rebukes Jesus for speaking how he'll go to the cross, die for us, what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. The words you speak are his words. They come from hell itself. And James says, you see, it's not just him. This is us too. When we tell that lie or make that boast or share that story behind their back, we fan the devil's flame. When we write that post or send that message that belittles or mocks or betrays another, we fan the devil's flame. Or as I've been challenged reading these words, as we lower our standards just to get that laugh or criticise others as though we're the judge, I Fan the devil's flame, James says. Well, more accurately, actually, do you see there, verse 6? I take the fire of hell and I set myself alight. Did did you see the end of verse 6? It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. It's easy to think, I suppose, that the hurt of our words is always to another, always over there, always to the one to whom those words were said. But no, James says, do you see, even as you hurt them, you always hurt yourself. 
Uh, like the arsonist caught on CCTV in England earlier this year, who, as he tried to start a fire, set himself alight. That's what it's like with us and our tongue, James says. Even as we hurt others, we always hurt ourselves. As we begin to believe the lies we say, as we begin to lose the trust of our friends, as our patterns of speech get worse and worse, as we harden ourselves to the living God, we always hurt ourselves, James says, with our terribly destructive words. And so perhaps we get to this part of the passage, we say to ourselves, and praise God if you do, I'm convinced. Now this is me. This is bad. I'm going to stop. I'm going to tame my tongue. To which, how does James reply at the end of the verses? Go there, go on. He says in verse 7, No, you won't. Why? Because your tongue is humanly untamable. Unlike almost anything else in this world. See there, verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. And it's true, isn't it? Lions, tigers, elephants, bears. In fact, just to be sure, I asked Google this week, which animals cannot be tamed? What did it say? Jellyfish. According to Google, that's it, I quote. Jellyfish, for example, certainly cannot be tamed. Earthworms, most likely, can't be tamed. But some patient keepers have tamed spiders, scorpions, and even wasps. Verse 7 again. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed, have been tamed by man, but no man and no woman can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And if you don't believe it, uh, if you're not convinced, my encouragement is to give it a try for just one week. Go one week without cursing the driver who cuts you off. Speaking poorly of another when they're not in the room. Or harshly to your household because you're tired or stressed. See, left to yourself, you won't. You can't. Your tongue, James says, is humanly untamable. And finally, he says, it's unacceptably inconsistent. Unacceptably inconsistent. You see it there, verse 9? With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who be made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Like coming to me with words of praise and insulting my kids who are standing beside. 
like coming to me with words of love and abusing my wife who was there beside my brothers and sisters, James says, this should not be. Out of the same mouth comes kindness and cursing. Out of the same mouth comes goodness and gossip. Out of the same mouth comes Bible and boasting. Out of the same mouth comes worship and warfare, even between those in Christ. My brothers and sisters, James pleads, this should not be. Like two kinds of water, do you see, from just the one source. Or the wrong kind of fruit from the right kind of tree. My brothers and sisters, this can not be. Like a little boy asked at the start of the talk, Daddy, do you really think that this is a way that a Christian person should talk to another? And James says, no. No way. Not for those who are saved in Christ. See, in the verses here, James says, God says, both to those who presume to teach and to every Christian who speaks, your words, whether public or private, out loud or online, are surprisingly powerful, terribly destructive, humanly untamable, and unacceptably inconsistent. So the question is, of course, what do we do? You know, short of never, ever speaking again, it might be a very quiet morning tea this morning. What do we do? Three things. First, receive God's diagnosis. Receive God's diagnosis. Like a good doctor in the verses here, James, if you like, has asked us to open our mouth. James has asked us to stick out our tongue. Say, ah, he said, and see what I see. See how your words really do matter. See how your words so often hurt. And especially, I think, see that if left to yourself in just your own strength, you are hopeless and helpless to tame your own tongue. Receive God's diagnosis. And why? Well, it's so you'll go to him for help. So you'll go to him for help. So you'll go to the one who can change the source from where the fountain flows. So you'll go to the one who can change the tree from where the fruit will grow. So you'll go to the one who can tame the beast like no human being can. In our reading from Matthew, Jesus said, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you see, that's where we need the change. And only he can do that. He can tame the untamable tongue. 
as he changes our hearts in Christ. As for some of us here, for the very first time, he makes you one of his own. And for most of us here who already are, he makes us more like his son. And so as James will say right throughout his book, go to him for help. In his word, in chapters like this, in our prayers about our speech, for some of us here in becoming a Christian, go to him for help. Like the really wonderful children's rhyme I heard this week, make this your prayer. Here's how it goes. I wish to be like Jesus, so humble and so kind. His words were always tender. His voice always divine. But no, I'm not like Jesus, as anyone can see. Oh, Saviour, come and help me and make me just like thee. Do you see? Receive his diagnosis. Go to him for help. And then finally, work with him to tame your tongue as he wants to help you too. You see, it may be today, as you've heard this part of God's word, that there's some part of your speech that you know needs to change. Friends, do not let that go. Whether it's gossip, lies, criticism, crudeness, boasting, slander, whatever it is, do not let that go. Receive his diagnosis. Go to him for help. And then work hard with him to tame your tongue as he wants to help you too. We began with that story of Paul Tripp, his precious little son, his wayward words, his son's beautiful rebuke. As Paul goes on to conclude that story, this is what he says. He says his pride was hurt, but not for long. He said he was sad for his son, but not for long. Why? Because he says in that moment, as he sat in his bed, getting progressively later for the breakfast he was supposed to be at, as he thought of his words, and thought of his God, he says he was overwhelmed with the loving grace of God. That by the grace of God, he would care for even what we say. By the grace of God, who wants our best, even with our words. By the grace of God, who sent his Son, to die for us and forgive our sins and to make our words like his. Let's pray that you do that for us now. Let's pray. Our wonderful, gracious, heavenly Father, in the words of that children's rhyme we pray, we really do wish to be like Jesus, so humble and so kind. His words were always tender. His voice always divine, but know our Father as you know, we are not like Jesus, as anyone can see. And so, oh Saviour, come and help us.
and make us just like thee for his glory, for our good. Amen.